and thank you for joining us today. As always, it is such a pleasure and a blessing to be with you. Today, we're talking about the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. If you're like me, when I was an early Christian, it was hard to decipher what the difference was between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And were these two events? Were they one event? And what did Scripture say? Which Scriptures went with each event? Today, we're going to look at this. We're going to try to understand the difference between the two because these are two separate events. The rapture is when Jesus Christ returns, when he ultimately removes the church from this earth. Basically, he takes all believers in Christ and he takes them and removes them from the world. Scripture tells us this this happens in a twinkle of an eye. We're going to look at that in a minute. It is an event where two people are walking in a field. One is taken and one is left. Two people are laying in bed. One is taken and one is left. The rapture is described in many chapters or many verses of the Bible. But today we want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like other people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have already died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from the grave. Then together with them, we who are still alive, and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds with Him, to meet Him, to meet the Lord. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50-54, through 54, Paul says, What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the bleak of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will raise to life forever. And we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, believers who have died will have their bodies resurrected along with those that are still living and they will meet the Lord in the air. It says, like it says, this will happen in the twinkle of an eye. And as I mentioned before, other scriptures say that two people will be together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Now the second, the second coming of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, is where Jesus actually comes to defeat the Antichrist, where he establishes his 1,000-year reign here on earth. And we see description of this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. 
And it says this, it says, Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of flaming fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in fine of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from the winepress. On his robe and his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The important difference here that we must understand between the rapture and the second coming of Christ are this. Number one is a rapture. These are the believers that are removed from the earth. They're taken into the air. At the second coming, these believers return to the earth with Jesus. Now that second coming occurs after the great and terrible tribulation. And the great and terrible tribulation is outlined for you there in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Now, many theologians debate whether the rapture will occur in the beginning of the tribulation, maybe before the tribulation, sometime in the middle of the tribulation, or more towards the end, more towards the time where Christ will actually return. But it would appear from Scripture that the believers in Christ will not see the massive wrath of God poured out on humanity. We have a couple of scriptures for that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says this. It says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. And then there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it says, because, we have obeyed, because you have obeyed my commands to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. You see, the rapture is the removal of the believers from the earth. It is actually an act of God delivering us from the wrath that he will pour out on the earth. The second coming includes the removal of unbelievers in an act of judgment. So the removal of the rapture is for us to go and to be with the Lord. The second coming is the removal of unbelievers that are moved towards the judgment of God. It seems that, that there will be believers during the tribulation time, whether the rapture has Possibly after the rapture has happened. Scripture is clear that there will be believers after. And these are possibly people that after the rapture, maybe these are people that are in church or, or know about Jesus or know about the rapture. But once the rapture happens, they hadn't fully committed. They didn't necessarily believe. They hadn't repented of their sins to actually follow Christ, to believe in him. But once they see these effects, once they see the rapture happen and Biblical prophecies start to unfold. These could be people that put their faith and hope in Christ at that time and then actually become saved. As I've mentioned before, the rapture is secret. 
It is instant. The second coming is visible to all. Jesus says, as far if, when, as you see lightning in the east, then you know you can see it in the west. It is evident to all of us. And the second coming of Christ will not occur until after certain other end time events take place. As we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 through 30, it says this, it says, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in that holy place. It says, reader, pay attention. This is Jesus talking. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on a deck of the roof must not go back down in his house to pack. A person out in a field must not return to get their coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant and pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight does not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great anguish then at any other time since the world begun. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not one single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look here is the Messiah, or look there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen. See how I've warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go look. Or if he is in hiding in here, don't believe it. For as lightning flashes in the east, it shines in the west. So it will be when the Son of Man returns. Just as the gathering of vultures show there is carcasses nearby, so these signs indicate that the time is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming, will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all people on the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. You see, the rapture is imminent. It could take place at any moment. And why it's important for us to distinguish the difference between the rapture and the second coming is, first of all, if the rapture and the second coming are the same event, then believers will have to go through the complete tribulation. And Scripture is evident that that will not be the case. If the rapture and the second coming are the same event, The return of Christ is not imminent. And there are many things that must occur before he can come, as we have looked at in Matthew. One important distinction to remember is that the description of the tribulation in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 nowhere mentions the church. So you have this section in the book of Revelations that does not talk about the church. Now, it could seem evident that during this time, during this time of the tribulation where, where, where nothing is written about the church, it would be because the church has been removed. 
This tribulation, this tribulation is a seven-year period. It starts with the signing or a treaty between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel, and it ends with the coming of Jesus Christ. The tribulation is also called the time of trouble for Jacob and Jeremiah. And during this time, we see that during the time of the tribulation, God will again turn His primary attention to the nation of Israel. The rapture and the second coming are similar, but they are two separate events. Both are end-time events. However, it is crucial that we understand the importance and recognize the difference. As we look at this, as we look at this in a summary, the rapture is when Christ removes believers from the earth before the time of God's ultimate wrath and before the coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is the return of Christ to the earth to bring the tribulation to an end and to defeat the Antichrist and his evil world empire that he will establish. You see, there is, there's a time that's coming where people will hope to die and not be able to. There's a time coming where there will be disease and pestilence and earthquakes in various places, and there will be this time where someone comes to power. The Bible calls this person the Antichrist. Where he will try in every way to move people away from Christ, to deceive people. As we read today, it says in Scripture that the deception will be so great that it could deceive even the elect. Even, even those people that are the closest to God, the, the most Bible-believing people will have that check in them to say, oh, I don't know. And that's why Jesus tells us, listen, this is why I have told you ahead of time. The deception will be so powerful. It will be so great. Scripture tells us that people will become more and more lawless. The Bible tells us in general as we move more towards the end that there is no truth. We see that everywhere in the world today. People claim, proclaim that they have their own truth, not the truth. You know, there are some things that are, are 100% the truth. The Word of God is true. The rapture is coming. The second coming of Christ, that is going to happen. So to the Christians today that I'm talking to, I'm pleading with you. It is our time. It is our duty. Jesus told us, He gave us the Great Commission, that we are to go to the ends of the earth and to preach the gospel. And that starts in your own community. It starts in your own home. It starts with your own family. It starts with those people that you work with. That we don't only tell them, but that we live that life. That we are a demonstration of Christ to the world. That through that, through our example, through our proclamation, through us telling people about Christ, those people can be saved. They can be saved from this horrible period of time. 
The scripture tells us that no one knows the hour of the day. That not even Jesus knows, not the angels in heaven, but only God the Father himself. Now Jesus does tell us, and people like to say that nobody knows the time or the day. And that is true. But Jesus also tells us to remember the fig tree. For those of us that don't know or have never seen a fig tree, it's, it's, like, it's like knowing when spring is coming because you see the trees are starting to bud. And you know that spring is right around the corner and that summer follows after that. And Jesus says for us to acknowledge and to understand the fig tree. So basically what he's telling us is that when certain things start to take place, we can know that we are right at the door, that that season is right there. So as Christians, it is our job to look around, to understand and to look at the world and to say, what is happening in the world today? How does that relate to what Christ has told us would happen on the earth before his ultimate return or before the ultimate events of end time prophecy play out? being that the rapture could come. And we must remember that the rapture can come at any moment. It could come at any time. It could come in one second. It could come a thousand years from now. But we are to be ready. And part of us being ready is that not only are we ready ourselves, but that we are following the duty of what Christ has called us to do with the Great Commission. That is to go out and to proclaim the gospel to all people. Church, we should live our lives every day. As we talk about end-time prophecy, we should live our lives every day that, that Christ could return any minute. And we must plan our lives that He won't return for a thousand years. Because one minute, one time, one second, in the twinkle of an eye, we'll all be removed. And my question to you is this, is do those people that you love the most, do those people that you have the most influence over, have you taken a minute to share the story of the gospel with them? Do they know by, the, by, the behavior, by your behaviors, by your walk in life, that there's something different about you than there is about anybody else? Are they inquisitive to know what that difference is? It is our job to live holy and righteous lives, to be an example of Christ. We will never be perfect. Scripture is very clear. We will never be perfect. But it's our job to be mindful. It's our job to be ready. It is our job to prepare. That Christ's return is, is imminent. And it could happen at any moment. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for the strength and the courage that you have the boldness. Lots of people have the boldness to go talk about Jesus to other people. And there's a lot of people that, that don't have that boldness. For those that have the boldness to walk up and just talk to Jesus or talk about Jesus to other people, I, I, I want to pray for you that, you, that, you have the, that you're close and intimate with the Holy Spirit to, to do it in a way that God's involved in it. And for those of us that might be fearful or, 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 or hold back and, and, and don't, don't step out in faith to go talk about Jesus to those people. I want to pray for strength and courage to you. And then after that, if there's anyone out there that has never made a decision to follow Jesus, that you've never committed your life to him, that, that, that you don't know if you believe, but, but today, maybe today you say, yes, 
I believe and, and, and the weight of your sin is upon you and that you understand the magnitude of your sin. I want to give you an opportunity today to be what the Bible, what, what, what is called, what, what the Bible calls to be saved, to be saved from the wrath of God, to be saved and to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. So first I want to pray for the believers for strength and encouragement. And then after that, anyone that will stay there and just stay in pr- stay prayerful. I want to lead you through a prayer to where you can commit your life and follow Jesus and you can know with assurance that you're saved. So followers of Christ, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just come before you at this time. Lord, we don't know if you'll return today, tomorrow, next week, next month, or a thousand years from now. But Lord, we do know the urgency that it is our job to proclaim the gospel to all people. And Lord, some of us are bold in that faith and we step out and sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. Lord, I pray for us that are like that. I pray that we would be conscious of the Holy Spirit. That we would be led by the Holy Spirit and not walk in our own flesh to try to accomplish your deeds, Lord. But that we would be moved by the Holy Spirit. That we would be in tune. That we would, when we feel that urge to talk about you, we would check with the Holy Spirit and we would say, Is this right, Lord? Give me the words. And that we would step out in faith. And then there's another group of people, Lord, that I want to pray for. These are people that, they know who they are. These are people that are a little timid to step out and to talk to you because they're afraid they might offend someone or maybe they think, oh, everyone's already heard about Jesus. Or maybe this person's already saved. They, they, they make that excuse in their mind. Lord, I pray that we would be moved by the Holy Spirit, that we would be, we would be fearless in that way. That when the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, talk to them about, talk to them about Jesus. Share that love with them. That we wouldn't say, oh, is that the Holy Spirit? Oh, I don't know, and make excuses in our own mind. But that we would step out in faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us all the strength and the courage to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be moved by the Holy Spirit, and to be fearless in our conversations. We would be fearless in what you have called us to do. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the strength. We thank you for the courage. When we ask for wisdom, we know that your word tells us that if we ask for wisdom, that you will pour it out for us. And we ask for wisdom to discern the times and to discern the situations so that we can help be the doorway, that we can hold the door open for other people so that they may possibly know you. Lord, we thank you so much. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Now, for those of you that have stayed I want to give you an opportunity today. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. This is the decision of your eternity. You see, life, when we compare our lives to eternity, it is what the Bible calls it's a, it's a mist. It's a mist. It's here one minute and one second and gone the next. But eternity lasts forever. Now I've heard a lot of people, a lot of preachers before say, do you want to go to heaven? And most people would say, yes, I want to go to heaven. I'm not asking you that today. Heaven 
Heaven is a byproduct of following Christ, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you go to heaven. The question I want to ask you today is not, do you want to go to heaven? The question I want to ask you today is, do you want to follow Jesus? Scripture tells us that if we believe in who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he came to this earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died and rose from the dead as payment or atonement for our sins, and that if we put our faith and trust in him and we repent of our sins, The Bible tells us that we are saved. And you say, how does this work? How does all of that work? You know, I don't know that anybody can really explain that. This is a God thing that happened. The magnitude of what Jesus did can be summed up in words. So I'll do the best I can of what I think is some way to make it an analogy for us to understand. And this would be if you, you had a fine, that you had a bunch of fines and you had to go to court And you couldn't pay those fines because it was so much money. And you stood the chance of of going to jail for a very long time because there was just a large amount of money and there was just no way you could pay that debt. You see, our sin is that debt that we cannot pay. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So as you're standing there before the judge and you can't pay the debt... And the judge says, someone else has already paid your debt. You're free to go. You see, in some way, that is what Jesus has done for us. He paid a debt that there was no way that we could pay it. You see, we are separated by our sin. Our sins separate us from a perfect and holy God. And some people say, well, wait a minute. God's all loving. I've heard all of these things that God's all loving. How, How could he let me go to hell? Listen, God is all loving. But God is just. There has to be justice for the evil that is done. That is part of his character, that he is all loving, but that he is just. So the only way those things work is by what God did for us. You see, so difficult is our salvation, only God could make it possible. You see, we can't work. We can't go do enough good deeds. We can't go feed the poor and do all of these things. Those are great things. Those are, what th- those are things that followers of Christ go do. Those are things that sometimes people that aren't even followers of Christ go and do. Those are good things. But that doesn't make you right with God. You see, Christianity is the only relationship with God. It is the only religion in the world That has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what God has already done for you. Every other religion has to do with you doing a bunch of good deeds. And at the end of the day, hopefully if you've done enough good deeds, then you get to go to heaven. The problem is, is you can't do enough good deeds because you've already done evil. You've already done wrong. You have already sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the gift of God. That is where the unfailing love of Christ comes through. That if we believe who he said he was and we repent of our sins and we follow him, then we are granted eternity in heaven with Jesus. So today I want to give you an opportunity and there is no special or specific prayer that is outlined in the Bible for somebody to pray to be saved. It is an acknowledgement of who Jesus is and is putting our faith and trust and hope in him. 
So there's no power in the words that I'm going to say. This is just an acknowledgement of your faith that saves you. So today, if that's you, and, and listen, I, I know there may be some of you out there. I was not always a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. There's some of you that have this tug at your heart right now that you feel, uh, is that God? Do I, do I really believe this? And, and you, there's this struggle that's going on. You have to remember just as much as there is good in the universe, there's also evil that is trying to prevent all of us from following Christ. So I pray for you now, and I pray that if that's you, and you're struggling to make that decision, and you're like on the fence, I ask you to step over, to believe. Once you start walking in your faith, once you look and study and look at the historical proof that Jesus is who He says He was, not just what the Bible says. That was one thing for me when I was a non-believer. I would ask people about Jesus, and they would say, well, the Bible says, and at that point, I just... I needed something beyond the Bible. Because if you're not a Christian, then you might not necessarily believe the Bible. Because if you believe the Bible, you are a Christian. The truth is there. Jesus is who He says He was historically. We know that. So I want to give you that opportunity today. You can repeat these words after me. But I'm going to remember that this is This is a conversion of your heart. This is you making a decision to follow Christ. This is not me telling you, pray this simple prayer and you'll be saved. This is an acknowledgement of faith. The Bible tells us that if we acknowledge who Jesus is and we repent of our sins, that we are saved. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe that your Son, Jesus, as the Son of God. I believe that He came to this earth, that He lived a sinless life, that He died and rose from the dead as payment for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank You for saving me. And I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that's you today and you prayed that prayer, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Scripture says that for one sinner that repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. I'd like you to email us, message us, so that we can pray for you. We want to celebrate with you. I would tell you, too, to get plugged into a local Bible-believing church. Get a Bible. Read it daily. Pray. Seek the Lord. He will reveal His way. His, he will reveal Himself to you in ways that you can't even imagine. And as always, please like, share, subscribe to this content so that it can reach more people for Christ. God bless you.